You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Today we welcome back Jen Wiederstrom. Serving others through training is more than a career for Jen. It's a deep passion she'll gladly do for free. Pondering life, training, and self-reflection is just the beginning for this Power Athlete Radio alum. <laughs> And look, and your skin is, your wrinkles oh. are going away. Oh, thank you, thank no, you. Um, but that's what it is. And it's like when you feel like you're a part of something that's bigger or you feel like that conversation with her that then brought, you know, because you were a part of that entire community. It's that intertribal dependency of like, we were all a part of that chain of things that made something happen and it was special. And, you know, it's it's why, why community changes everything. It's why Power Athlete's so special. It's It's why we all keep coming back for more. Yeah, not show up and get a certificate, earn your... Well, I think what happened was um, uh, the part of my brain that was damaged when I played football is the oh. part of the brain that deals with sympathy and empathy. <laughs> and so basically it just made me an insensitive bastard for a long time yeah. where I had zero empathy and no like uh, emotional connection with people. Come and on. then I swear to God. Um, and then when I retired from the NFL, uh, like I went on this like kind of fact finding mission to try to figure out cause I knew something was wrong Yeah. and, um, things like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I started with the ketogenic diet, which kind of they fixed a, lit, a little bit, but then the big one was, uh, exosomes. So I went out and saw Tom Inclinon and he's like, Hey, we have these uh, exosomes, which is the RNA between the stem cells. He's like, we've, you know, distilled them down. There's like, you know, a trillion or X in this bag. And he's like, I want you to do an IV and, um, so I, I did the IV and I didn't really notice anything. And then like probably like 18 hours later, I all of a sudden felt this like warm buzz. Hmm. And uh, what happens is the exosomes are so small, they go, they move across the blood brain barrier and uh, whatever was in that bag fixed whatever was going on beforehand. Come on. I swear to God. One dose. Um, yeah. One dose. It was huge. And then I came home and then we did the hyperbaric treatments last winter. I'm dying to ask you and, about those. And uh, uh, the hyperbarics, which is wild is that at, um, at the lower atmospheres, like 2.2 is what I did it at, the body doesn't need hemoglobin to move oxygen around. So basically the oxygen will dissolve into plasma. So parts of the body that would never get oxygen got oxygenated. And so after like eight weeks, so it's 40 sessions over eight weeks, like I noticed a huge difference in me. Huh. So like I think that like those like uh, the last 10 plus years of trying to figure this whole thing out, because I mean, um, this is fascinating. Um, so the guy, the study I was in was for Dr. Amen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now with like social media and all this, Dr. Amen's a fucking quack. Oh, like there's a lot of quacky shit. So, happens. so I, I was uh, just a lot of like hokey shit. I'll see him like talk. But, uh, at the time the NFL paid him for this study. And I'm always like, I wonder if he cooked that study. I wonder if that study was legit because, uh, about three years after that study, I went to this guy, I met, um, this guy, Dr. Jen from the Newport brain research center. And he was working with a bunch of seals that I knew that came up that were getting their brains done. And I went in and he scanned me and didn't really find what Dr. Amon had found. Hmm. So there was some like interesting stuff, but I definitely know that, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's like a detachment or, you know, maybe you're just in this weird bubble, which uh, forces you to kind of disassociate. Mm-hmm. But I was listening to Aaron Rodgers on Joe Rogan the other day and uh, Aaron Rodgers was talking about like this disconnection and then he went and did ayahuasca. 
and felt that like ayahuasca connected him back to like all of these people. And he's like, I felt like disassociated. And as he's talking about it, I'm like, holy shit, dude, that's what I had. Mm, and then all of these things, I mean, I didn't do ayahuasca, <laughs> um, but um, that allowed him to reconnect. But uh, all the research on psychedelics is really fascinating. Partially sent me all this shit on like uh, psilocybin and the fact that it allows different parts of the brain to talk. Mm -hmm. And they start talking about like recreating a, a, an emotional connection, like fixing I mean, like people that have depression and this, I mean, like one dose of, um, there was one other one he sent me on ketamine. They were doing low dose ketamine with, uh, hyperbarics to like fix depression. I mean, just the amount of shit people are doing is wild. Yeah. Um, but once I listened to Aaron Rodgers, I was like, man, like, uh, that's similar to what I went through. Now he figured out a way to kind of reaccess it while he was playing. It wasn't until I retired where all of a sudden you're sitting around and you're like, like I'm gonna stab myself. I don't feel anything, you know. Yeah, but I think that it's also generational. Like we are so much more. Our this generation, um, I guess, being like your 30s and 40 year olds who have been kind of living it longer and seeing it, are so much more welcoming to alternative forms of like healing. And yeah. you know, whether it's ayahuasca or the the hyperbaric, which I was so interested in because I've had a lot of head trauma and uh, I would. Highly recommend. It's hard to track it down though. Like I was in LA and I'm calling. I'm like, who has them? And like, I'll buy one. So, so you got to um, one. You should have reached out to me because what I do yeah. is I put you in touch with Dr. Joe, who is on our podcast. Who's like the foremost expert. He knows everybody and everybody Thank around you. the world that has access to one. Okay. Um, but uh, the hyperbaric thing, um, it was uh, like it was one of those things where you're like, ah, wait a minute, like, like can this really work? Right. And then we had Dr. Joe on the podcast. And like the amount of shit that he was talking about and he's like, dude, I'm telling you, like this is the path for some form of like brain longevity Yeah. because it effectively, like you think about, um, the, the way I described it and actually this is funny cause uh, it relates to Matt Vincent. Yeah. Um, we were talking and he talked about this idea of like things crystallize as you age and one of them, the way you know that men crystallize is haircut. You can look at a guy's pictures from the time he's about 25, 26 till he's 70 and his haircut never changes. And so the reason being is that like your brain crystallizes and you're stuck in that place. And so they are able to do like writing samples and they kind of look at all this neurodegeneration. So one of the reasons that women don't deter or uh, he thinks downgrade as fast is they're constantly changing their hair color. They're changing their look. They're wearing different clothes. Men will buy suits and wear the exact same suits for their entire life, uh. drive the same car, go the same. And so that lack of like neuroplasticity and change just fucking crystallizes. So, um, which also goes back to, uh, Dr. Michael Rose's talk. If you guys want to Google that one, AHS 2011, maybe 12, oh, AHS, uh, Michael Rose gave this amazing talk. He's like a evolutionary biologist. Okay. Like, uh, if you listen to him, he's probably like one of the two smartest people on the planet. So, but he goes into this idea of crystallization. Um, one of the, the keys for the psilocybin I found fascinating is it actually breaks that up and creates greater neuroplasticity. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is if like, you get kind of stuck in this crystallization and then something has to snap it. For me, I think it was uh, the exosomes and the hyperbarics. Yeah. Well, I think I only heard about the hyperbaric chambers when um, Joe Namath was talking about it. Mm. And it like, and he... So Joe Namath, the study that they're doing yeah. is being run by Dr. Joe. Oh, So he's okay. partnered with the NFL retired players. Okay. And he's doing uh, the research on uh, retired, old, broken NFL players and some other guys. So that's his research. Well, I, okay. So that makes sense then. Yeah. And like he, but he had the same kind of reaction you did. And he's like, you know, like, 
what is this? It's, is this really going to work? And, you know, especially for that generation. I mean, Joe's got to be in his 70s now. It's got to be later. Or, yeah, I mean, at, at, at least. least. right? Because, yeah, I mean, Broadway Joe, what was that, in the 60s? Got to be 60s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's probably the same age as my parents. So, and it's like, so he was like, it's kind of hokey, but he wasn't feeling when he's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, if something hurts on your body, you're like, I'll try anything, you know? And, and then when it comes to your brain, it feels like a little bit more intrusive. You're like, what are you going to do? And how is it going to feel? And I just lay here. And how is that really going to make a difference? You mm-hmm. know, it almost, I think, especially uh, our culture, our American culture, we feel like something's got to be hard for it to work or it's got to be painful. Like, the, Or you got to notice it the first day. Right. Like you, like you take a painkiller and you instantly feel <clears throat> oh, yeah. like numb. Immediately like, oh, I mean, yeah, like the, the those quick solutions. And what, what he was saying was great. And then also then, then the evidence that when you, you literally, you started you started to see parts of his brain light up that hadn't lit up in forever. So when I yeah. think about you, like I was laughing when you told your story about crying, which now I regret and yeah. I apologize. No, believe me, I'm, I'm totally I, fine with but it. But I was like, oh, he he really means it. Like it was turned off. But, but I think that's a reflection of our body as a whole. Like our body, whether you're talking about your brain or your range of motion for your shoulders, is it's the we're super adaptable organisms. So like, I mean, I, I tried to get my dad to do like a downward dog and it, I mean, Norm is 77 almost. And so that didn't happen. And I was like, but dad, he used to run five miles a day. You were a collegiate wrestler. Like he could suplex people. He can't put, he can't put hands and toes together. And it's so, you know, it's like where babies can put their feet behind their heads, but now like my dad can't, it's like y- your body just cuts corners on what you're not using. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the question is like, if we get to the root, I know that people talk about how the impact of the, your heads in football or other sports create that, um, the issue with some of that desensitization, but do you think it's a mindset as well? 100%. Okay. So, so there's a, there's a couple things like, um, uh, this is real different. Um, like I remember when I came home from college, uh, I remember I, uh, my dad, my entire life was like a handshake, even when I was a little kid, uh-huh. like, uh, you know, like we didn't get a lot of hugs, like, but that was like the, you know, people didn't hug their kids. No. So then like, I remember I came home and my dad went to shake my hand and I went to hug him and he was so uncomfortable. It took, I mean, this would have been like 20 plus years of hugging him to even like, uh, even mm-hmm. at the end when I hugged him, he still was like, uh, cause it, like that wasn't how he was raised. Mm-hmm. And so with my kids, like every day I give them hugs cause mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't get a lot of hugs. You guys get a lot of hugs. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's just how it was raised. It was like, you know, I'm like six years old, like shaking your father's hand, yeah. like, which seems so fucking weird to me now. Cause I would never do that for my kids. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe that was a little bit of the way we were raised. And then you go play in football where there's just constant, like, uh, you know, fucking don't show any emotion. Um, you know, they're asking you to go out there and just fucking try to hurt people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe there's like a protective mechanism of like desensit- uh, desensitizing or detachment. Mm-hmm. And then you get into it and you take a bunch of shots to the head. You're around a bunch of other emotionally broken, um, fucking emotionally retarded. And I don't mean retarded in like a negative way in terms of like people that are disabled, but literally mentally broken, yes. emotionally broken coaches. Which the reason they're most of them are ex players or uh, complete psychopaths that figured out that they could go be coaches and somebody would reward them for being psychopaths and weirdos and like uh, emotionally detached. And so you're in this loop. And then all of a sudden, one day, they like pull the curtain back and like, you know, pull the thing and shoot you out. And you're like, you can't come back. Like you're out of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and now you got to go to the island of misfit toys and, and you're gone. And then all of a sudden, you're sitting around and uh, you're like, now what do I do? Yeah. I guess I got to go reinvent myself. And I was real fortunate at the time when CrossFit reached out to me to be able to go do that. Um, but what, you know, like it, it's, uh, it's something fascinating I think about, but then trying to like 
put these pieces back together and figure out like, who am I without this? And you're on this kind of mission, this self finding, you know, self discovery. Mm-hmm. And then, but you know, you're also dealing with, you know, 10 years in the NFL, five years in college, you know, 20 plus years of just beating your head into the wall and then wondering why shit, man, I don't feel anything <laughs> like, you know, it, yeah. t- it takes, it Great. takes a, a long time to figure that piece out. Yeah. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, Go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now, back to the show. Did you have a thought, Tex? Oh, I got a lot of thoughts, yeah. but <laughs> y'all are on a roll. I was no. like, oh, you're still here? No, I was just like, no. Oh, I'll go for well, it, yeah. This is the, the essence in which we do have a lot of conversations about is finding yourself following your athletic career. For some people that finish at high school, they're stuck in that high school. So some folks that find... I was a collegiate athlete, and then they struggle different career, 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 because they miss the camaraderie in the team. And then even worse for the professional athlete, because they are, are paid and, I mean, receive so much praise for what they've accomplished as a professional. Well, look at, Jen as a, look at Jen as a professional athlete. You've been a professional athlete in so many different arenas. Think about it. American Gladiators, mm. which I, I remember watching. I mean, do you see what's on my cup right now? My Yeti cup? <laughs> I had them engrave the Phoenix into my cup for the listener. <laughs> so for those of you guys that don't know, you can do a quick Google search and look up Jen Wiederstrom, Phoenix, American Gladiators, had the red hair. Yeah. It's was like that a little, really your hair or was that a wig? Oh, that was my hair. They would they bleached it white and then they put the pink and red in and yeah, it looks a little, the videos are a little bit of soft porn looking. So just, I don't know if they're age appropriate for children, but nice. yeah, yeah, Phoenix. Well, and then it was you, uh, Gina Carino, Texas favorite. Uh, right. And then uh, my personal favorite, Mike O'Hearn, was also in there. <laughs> Don't even say his name in front of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. We did, we did it. But it's, it's uh, I, I, I almost think about. Was it like another life? Almost like you, like you look back on it and it's like watching a movie where you're like, I can't believe or it, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's kind of like uh, in the NFL stuff when I'll, um, people send me clips or I'll see something on ESPN. I just watched something recently where I was in it, mm. and you're like looking at it and you're like, "Holy, like it was a whole different life." It was it was five lives ago. It's it's a totally different person. I'm like, "Oh, that's not me. I don't even sound like that anymore. I don't even blink like that anymore." <laughs> like, I think that's the that's the that's the strange thing is at that moment, you know, I was someone that was bartending in Chicago drinking every dollar I made, you know what I mean? I mean, I had a blast. I just don't have a penny to show for it. <laughs> and to go, and I'd been an American gladiator for Halloween multiple times. And so to get to do the show was exciting and fun. And the, you know, it was big and it was loud. It was like one of the number one shows on television. And then it was canceled. And, you know, what I thought was the best time of my life. This is the highlight. This is the peak. And I'm sure that at the time you were playing or other people that are like these peaks of their life, like, oh, this is by far what my life is supposed to be. And I look and I'm like, thank God I did it. Thank God it's over. And because I, I feel like the, my best year is the, is the one I'm living. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to do that to like be positive. Like I really just, I just know it because every time I look and I see I've done something, I see how it shaped me. 
you know, like, you know, you think like weather shapes mountains and, and I, and I know that like the experiences of my life were important to be in those places. And I had to feel ego and I had to feel that sense of pride and that feel that sense of desensitization. Uh, how do I say the word? Desensitization. Don't ask me. Try it. Desensitization. Oh, <sighs> God damn it. That was That's why one. you group think everyone. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Don't worry. I, I go to butcher words and I'll just be a text. What was that word again? Yeah, no, I, I was slowly up. mouthing it to John. Desensitization. But go ahead. No, I I want you to finish your thought, but then I do have a gift for everyone that has to do with words. Oh, okay, uh-huh. this is great. Um, and so, but like what I'm realizing more and more, and I I'm having, uh, I think I've had so much time on my on my own in these last few months, just because of some different career choices, and I realize like I've only been able to become desensitized from that ego, from that camera, from that professional life because I was able to live it, step away from it. And now, I mean, all time gives you this vantage point yeah. that is such a gift. And it's like, I finally stopped punishing myself for like what I would consider now as bad behavior or uh, behavior I wouldn't feel good about, um, you know, doing now kind of a thing. And I'm like, oh, thank God I did all that. Because I think that those those roles are, there's a pressure and not everybody takes it on, but I know at least for me, like, I'm like, I've got to be this way and I've got to like, I've got to act like I'm the best. And especially when I got a biggest loser, I was like, I'm the number one trainer on the planet, even though I had no business saying that. Right. <laughs> but like the show said I was, and it stunted my growth so much as a human being to be in the spotlight, to be number one, to be pampered by dozens of people every day. And then all of the social media, like fans and people. And, th- and I was like, I really didn't earn any of that. And I, but I believed it. And it's, so, was there anything? It's like some imposter syndrome where you're like, it's uh. not imposter. It's more, I just fucking knew I wasn't doing the work anymore. Like I, wh- where, where is the R and D? Like, where is me in the, in the, like before I did all the television, I was training like eight clients a day. I was going through my own personal work. But the moment you said I was like a, a superstar on TV, I'm like, I don't need any personal reflection and I don't need to train any of you civilians anymore because I'm a celebrity. I'm here. And when you stop doing the work, you stop learning and you stop getting that personal feedback with yourself. And so it's not like, oh my God, I thought I was good. I'm not. No, I'm just not. And I know it. And it's scary when you then ask to speak at these events and I'm supposed to create a speech on motivation and what's working in fitness right now. And I have, I have no idea. I mean, and I just, you get good at bullshitting, but mostly you're just bullshitting yourself. And that's the person you have to live with. And that's where I think you start to erode in this perception of self and really feeling good and really feeling like you have something to offer. And people think that stops at career. But man, there's a reason why I'm 40 and single. Like I have not spent enough time developing Jenny and investing in that person to have something to actually offer someone. So that's my TED talk. <laughs> God damn. I know. I've had a lot of time to think. I was going to say, you've yeah. had a ton of reflection time. Yeah. Uh, I think you're too hard on yourself. You think so? Yeah. yeah. I like, and, but, but that's the mark of all really good athletes. Um, I heard a interesting comment the other day that like the, the difference between like an average and a great athlete is, um, you know, the average athlete will like look for, you know, for people to help them or how come I didn't this? Whereas like the best athletes are like, you know, here's all the, all the shortcomings and I do it. Mm. Um, I had a guy, uh, you know, like asked me like, Oh, you know, like, um, ironically it was yesterday. Um, I, uh, take my daughter to jujitsu. 
Um, so I'm sitting there and there's a parents next to me and we just start talking cause, uh, their kid was beating up on my daughter, which is fine. Um, but their kids were, you know, two like twin boys and, uh, and my, my daughter's a twin. So, uh, but the hilarious part is the boys are 12 and she's like a full head taller than them. So they're like, how old's your daughter? I'm like, she's 10. They're like, holy shit, our boys are 12. Um, <laughs> but then the, like, we were just wrapping back and forth like, oh, you got to come Saturdays. I was like, yeah, uh, I will. I'll bring her Saturdays. But my, uh, my little boy, my six year old has football and, um, I don't coach, but, um, I show up and then the coach asked me to coach. <laughs> so like I, 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 I well, like I, get it. I show up and John, he's like, I want, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll show up and the dude's like, Hey, can you run the scout defense or can you help my son? And, or can you work? And I'm always like, yeah, man, like whatever you need me to yeah. do, I'm more than happy to help. Like you're out here. I'm here to support. So I was like, well, and he's like, do you coach football? I'm like, uh, no, but I'll help my son and I help the kids. And he's like, did you play football? And I, I was like, yeah, I did. And then he asked me my name. And then the dude like stands up and he's like, I fucking knew it. I'm an Eagles fan. Aww. And he's like, I lived in Philly in those years. Oh. And the dude like literally is fucking like jumping up and down. And my daughter comes over. He's like, dude, do you know who your dad is? She's like, yeah, I fucking know. This guy sucks. Um, that, She's like this guy. Yeah, that this guy. So, so then he, he goes through everything. And I realized that I don't remember any of the positives. Mm. I only remember all the negatives. I remember all the bad plays. Um, I can't remember any, like he was this and this. And I'm like, no, nah, I can just only have a Rolodex of all my failures. Yeah. And so, uh, but I re recently listened to a guy talk about it and he's like, the great athletes are the ones that are constantly trying to learn from mistakes. So they only focus on those mistakes because the victories have no ability to drive them. Mm. So what I'm saying to you to relate it back is high level performer, you were a thrower in college, you've done all this stuff. And unfortunately the successes don't necessarily knock the corners off as fast as the failures. Mm -hmm. So then unfortunately you're in this situation the same way I am where like everything's a failure and that uh, successes don't shape you. So then therefore you don't focus on them. Mm -hmm. So I have to constantly remind myself, like, don't be so hard on yourself, dude. you like, you, you know, you've done good stuff. Like, you know, cause if, if you don't, you get stuck in this loop of like, I'm a piece of shit. Nothing I've ever done has mattered. I suck. This whole thing sucks. I should burn it to the fucking ground. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, wait a minute. No. And then we have events like the collective where Brittany comes over and is crying and tell me how I helped her. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe I'm not a fraud. Mm -hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe this imposter syndrome is imaginary. Well, there's an opportunity with journaling. You force yourself to write down what you're grateful for or a positive note. That was a result of said opportunity. There's magic in words, which leads me to my gift for everyone. Oh, nice. And everyone gets a choice. So we are in the throes of Oktoberfest and we have Wiederstrom on the podcast. So I picked these up when we were traveling seminar team and I want everyone to choose and I'm going to tell you what each word means. But at Oktoberfest, they have these giant heart cookies yes. with these words in them. Craft means power. So it's all these German words and you get to pick what word connects to you. Jen, have you been to Oktoberfest in Munich? Okay, so I... I I'm sad to say no. A dear friend of mine, his name's Tyler Wilson. He owns Wurstkirche in uh, in Los Angeles, and I I think you pronounce it like Wurstkirche in German. I mean sausage kitchen. Sure. And he he does a mini Oktoberfest sure. there, which is fantastic. And I, by the way, second place in the beer holding, the Stein holding competition last year. Just want to throw it out there. Nice. But he told no me, deal. he keeps telling me about me and we were going to go, but during the pandemic, they, they canceled they it like oh, yeah. six months in advance. We would have been there. Yeah, yes. we would have been there. Please don't go without me is okay. what I'm trying to say. Uh, okay. So uh, okay. we taught a series of seminars in Nuremberg. Mm -hmm. 
oh. and piggybacked them off Oktoberfest. Oh. Uh, the first couple of years, I didn't get a chance to go. And then Tex and well, I. We went the second. Uh, I went tw- 13, 14, 16, 17. You went 14. Yeah. So oh. uh, unfortunately, the way it, not unfortunately, uh, let me rephrase. So Luke and I are in the truck. We're, we're going to the airport to go to Oktoberfest and go teach the seminar in 2014. Okay. And uh, Luke gets out. We, I stopped to get gas. He gets out of the truck like nervously to repack his gear, takes his backpack out. I fill up the truck. We jump in, drive out, and I look back. I'm like, where's your backpack? I do a U-turn, come back. Somebody stole his backpack with his passport in it. So I'm like, you can't go to Germany. Like, we got no passport. McQuilkin, what are you doing? He's in D.C. And he's like, nothing. Just hanging out this weekend. I'm no, like, go to the fucking. working. But I was like, go to the fucking airport. You ask. Yeah. <laughs> your plane leaves in six hours. An international trip. So I had to sprint home find some coverage at a high school and then yeah and then we go to uh, teach a seminar this is uh we go down the first night to october fest uh we went two nights didn't we uh well there we celebrated in nuremberg yeah and then we went to the show yeah then we went to so after the deal we go down to munich and um it was cool we like go to this uh um you know like the whether or not you'd like a fan of history like I am, but um, I'd always heard that the Nazi party started in the beer, beer halls of Munich. Oh. So we go to like, you know, like the, the square in Munich where like, you know, I'd seen, you know, Hitler and these guys walk yes. and like, you know, him give his speeches. So we go into one of the beer halls and you look up on the wall and you can see where they chiseled out like the, like the swastika. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Why fucking crazy. Total body chills. So we sit down and you're like in the middle of this, you know, I mean, uh, ugly, fucking the ugliest time in you in history, but you're still in these historical moments. Yeah. I mean, you know, good or bad, it's still our history. And uh, so we're drinking beers. We get this huge plate of like sausage and all this other crap. Uh, then we go out and we walk to the parade grounds where also the Nazis had all their big parades. Yes. And they've set up these huge tents that are like yes. cover football fields. Yeah. So we walk in and uh, there's like they're all painted. There's like seven polka bands. So we walk in and Chris is like, where are we going? I'm like, just give us a second, dude. We'll figure it out. And we look over. We see a dude smash a glass and these guys fight. I'm like, there are guys. <laughs> and so we walk over and turned out there were a bunch of American and Canadians that were playing hockey in Europe. And we went over, befriended them, and then ended up uh, working our way into like a table. And, Which and is, a, by the way, huge. Like yeah. If you don't, I mean, I've never been, I've done the research. To get a seat at a table as a novice is just not accepted or possible. So the fact that you guys got a seat. Do you know how we did it? Well. So as we walk over, the gal comes over and wants to give, you know, like obviously the beers. Sure. So I did the uh, Rodney Dangerfield from back to school no, where I, I tipped her and I was like, hey, here's here's the tip. Whenever you see these things empty, just bring me one. I'll give you more money. Great. I was the only person to tip her that day. So the minute that all of a sudden they started kicking people out to like reset the tables, yeah. she's like, I have seats for you. Yeah. Oh. And so we mm-hmm. tipped the, the beer lady and uh, tip yeah. your servers. Guys. And then we fucking. Especially uh, in Europe. We yeah. smashed it. Way. Oh. Yeah. So what we have here are pins. That represent the heart cookies I was describing with some words on there. I'm ready. And then I, you have to pick which one you want to go well, for I'll there. Oh, yeah, I'm, so I'm going to go with instinct. I'll go with, yeah. Oh, well, this is this is awesome. Okay. So I'll lead off with mine. I got gluten on mine. And if you're watching gluten? on YouTube. Does it mean gluten? It, well, it is a giant <laughs> cookie pin. I, I, you're so lucky. I'm, a good, I'm an easy laugh. That was bad. <laughs> so mine, mine represents goddess. That's uh, <laughs> German oh, you were hoping it was for a, goddess. Okay. I'm Zucca Mouse. Sugar Mouse. Come on. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, mine's uh, Obacht. Watch out. Watch out. 
So uh, they they sell these little vendors all over the place, and then I would go up, and essentially I would use these to try to flirt with German girls. <laughs> so I was like, I need, and they were they were speaking broken English. I was speaking only English, yes. and I need I need words that mean like cute flirt, and these are what they gave me. That is fucking genius, uh, Casanova. The, the one thing we fucked up on. Um, when we got there, we were obviously just wearing normal clothes. Yeah. Everybody's in traditional like lederhosen and oh, the yeah. outfits. And we were like, ah, it's not a, you know, not a big deal. And then we show up and we were like the only ones not in traditional garb. If we go, we got to get not the outfits. The only ones. Well, we were one of the only ones. No, no, no. You, you, it's, it's, it's like showing up to a, like a, a really nice party. And I show up in like the, like a bathing suit, like completely yeah. there. You are so not, you are so underdressed yeah. if you are not yeah. in your proper gear. And you went four times. Four. I have a whole survival guide. The oh, fifth is when we're gonna have success. That was well, my next question because there there is a survival system. My buddy's oh, like, four. you got you got to yes. make friends at the coffee shop as well. He's like, oh, you yeah. need coffee. There's a roller coaster nearby. Yeah. He's like, once a day, you need to get on the roller coaster, reset. Yeah. <laughs> because like uh, he's like his first trip, he literally was passed out on the table. Uh yeah, it's uh yeah. Twice uh, I've uh, once with John, once on my own, had to pay for a cab ride. Yeah. From Munich back to where we're staying in Nuremberg. Yeah, we actually Bad got uh, got to the uh, um, the train station cheap. and we sat mm-hmm. on the bench waiting on the train. We fell asleep and then as I woke up, the train was driving away and we had to go get a cab, which was like two hundred and thirty euros. Yeah, part the buddy system has <laughs> failed me twice. You need a you need a three. You need a team of three. I yeah. will be the third. Right, I right. am Sugar Mouse. <laughs> that's that's how you survive. Is a team of three. Because we had two teams of two the first year. Uh, I was teamed up with Bo, and Luke had Steve. Yeah. Stevie, if you yeah. remember him. Stevie Ord. Stevie and Luke lost each other. Bo and I were surviving, and then I said, I think I see Luke, and I walked away, and that was it. And you never saw him again. All four of us woke up in different parts of the country. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the beers are like easily 40 ounce. They're, they're like and he, more alcohol. They up the alcohol. Yeah, they're like seven to eight nine percent alcohol. Oh, God, and they're easily forty ounces. Like they bring them and like uh, like first of all, the arms on these girls. They come out with like twenty seven these things in each hand, which is like yeah, just yeah, it's unreal. Speaks to the raw strength in Germany. I'm very happy to have German blood. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> so uh, it, it to this day. It might have been the, one of the most fun times we've had. Like yeah. the polka music, and then we heard a rumor that Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. So I think we tried to find him. And I don't know why. Just him, and a, right. him and a plate of schnitzel, probably. I, I, was, I was like, I was Ooh, like, if Arnie's well, here, we need a picture. Food is key. Part of the survival guide is that you have an opportunity for chicken, pretzels, mm. or there's a a charcuterie board. <sighs> I love charcuterie. So on the charcuterie board is radish. Radish. So you need a team. This is why you need one, two, three. You need two chickens and charcuterie because radish helps your liver digest alcohol. I just, I just have a visual of uh, John like just pulling full radishes out of the ground. It's like there's like yeah, we got these in our pockets. We got radishes. Bring your own radishes, and then you get three chickens. That's even better. Uh, dude, the, uh, one of my favorite <laughs> moments was, good, uh, good health tip, though. all of a sudden the Germans are like singing and like dancing and having a good time. And this lady jumps up on the table and she's like, chugs the beer and literally falls on her back off the table, yeah. right? Legs in the air, skirt overhead. She wasn't wearing any underwear. And, and uh, was we, that a positive? Uh, no, oh, it wasn't. Okay. Um, oh, and it, the, no. the look on <laughs> all the little kids faces at the table <laughs> was like because there was because so people bring their kids 
And what they'll do is they, uh, they, they like, um, the kids drink the beer foam. They'll like knock the beer foam off and the kids will lick it off of like a knife or a spoon. (laughs) So the kids are like, you know, having beer foam. And so all these little kids and mom goes off the back of the table, shit face, (laughs) legs up, dress over the head, no underwear. And we're like, Oh, and the kid, the look on the kid's face was priceless. And you know what? People helped her up, dusted her off, and um, she went back to drinking. It's like a badge of honor, though. Like, she, she's doing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, Well, I mean, the fact that parents are this fucked up with their kids, like, was really pretty funny. Man. Like, I was like, man, these, uh, yeah. So I was. Um, but it goes back to community. Like, people know, like, even though you ended up in different parts of the country than your, your cohorts. Well, I got, yeah. But you I'm know, happy for the stories. Like, the, the reality is, is, like, everybody goes. Everyone's, it's like that tribal mm-hmm. dependency. Like, you're, everyone knows that, like, kids are important. You know, stay close to the mother hen, even if she's falling over with her skirt up, right? Like it's it's kind of a fun community thing. But there's thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a million. There's yeah, a it's it's. I mean, the the tents. The one we went to was uh wasn't Hofbrau, Lowenbrau. It was um, uh, it might have been Lion. Hof, yeah, it's, that, it's the Lions. It's blue. Yeah, it was uh, which is Hofbrau, I think. Is it? Yeah. And then what was there. cool was they had all these uh, like huge Clydesdales. I just remember oh, like wow. they had these massive Clydesdales yeah, sure. pulling beer wagons, yeah. and these horses were like. You know, 22 hand, 24 hand, just these massive horses where I was like, where did they find these things? So like the biggest like draft horses I've ever yeah, seen. Sure. And and like this really bitch and like all this cool salary and everything was polished. You know, and I remember, it's culture. Oh, keep going. Yeah, keep yeah, going. No, no, it's just culture. It's just brilliant. Like I, we, it, there's so much history there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it so fun. And so it like, so it's like so exciting to engage in. Like, I don't know that we have anything that deep here. Like, I mean, we think we have 4th of July. And Thanksgiving. Well, what I mean, what is America? Uh, what do we? What is two, America? Two, yeah, how old is the Liberty Bell? Uh, well, like nineteen seventy six. So now you're like uh, just shy two hundred fifty years. Yeah, I mean, you know, but like, but but we are truly the melting pot. Like our traditions are based on everybody else's. I was I was I had a I was talking with uh, a friend, and we were talking about like what's American cuisine. And I was like, is it just barbecue? And I was like, because I, I was going to say fast food. Well, barbecue is technically German that started here in Texas. So Germans, Texas. Barbacoa. Yeah, that's also South America, and then there's also huge uh, 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 South African, um, like the what about the, a, a brie? Okay, what but about I, a burger? Is that American? Well, I mean, the, who was it? Was it the Earl of Hamburger? Was the guy that uh, they credit with the hamburger? Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So like, wait, like, that's why we are all craving like a deeper cultural experience, and that's probably freedom fries. Oh my god, we got that going. <laughs> What's a freedom fry? <laughs> well. Something happened, and we removed the term French because it's weak. Oh, and now that's we right. Just that's right. That's right. We eat freedom fries. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what. That's our. It, yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, but that's why we like it because we have all that. I mean, like, I, I don't know about your Christmases, but we sing a few Christmas carols, and like, there's family recipes, but they're all from Sweden or sure. or you know or Germany or you know. So it's kind of like. Well, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, what is American? That's a really interesting thing. That's I mean, we you know. just put sauce on things, apparently. And I thought fast food, but I'm like, no, because Taco Bell, that's still Mexican food. Yeah. in and out burger, but then those are burgers. Those are burgers. Would be American Something food. we don't have to figure out in this podcast, but just no, it's a uh, fun Donuts? Pie. When did the donuts start? Uh, I, I, would, I would give that, that's a pastry. I mean, I, they're. Well, a kolache, that's also German. That's a big Texas thing. You know what kolaches are? No, uh, I, I love drive, that word. I drive by them all the time and I see American. kolache signs. Huh? The donut, the donut was invented by American Right, and so, I brought donuts today. How American! Uh, Kolaches <laughs> are essentially a donut with meat inside, uh-huh. so like a meat pie. Yes. Like, so it's a runza. Thank you, Nebraska. Yeah. Or like, uh, was it Australia? We had meat pies in Australia. 
Mince meat pie? Maybe I, I... That's Jamaican. Actually, it's Jamaican cuisine as well. Hey, what are your favorite words? Kalachi might be my new favorite one. Uh, favorite? That's a good question. I just... I personally like writing. I write kind of uh, I cursive. I like the sound. I know. But okay. the, the J's. <laughs> I like J. Ooh. The lowercase J uh, for a cursive is my favorite. It's your favorite letter. But is there a word... Like Calvin and Hobbes, his favorite word was smock. Smock is a great word. Do you know what my favorite word, I think, is now you bring it up uh, from Marvin the Martian? Okay. I didn't hear the kaboom. I love the word kaboom. 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 Great. Yeah. Like I always imagine like you hit something, it's like kaboom or something blows up and it's kaboom. Yeah. Shenanigans. Shenanigans. Ludicrous. Shenanigans are fun. Ludicrous. Let's go back to your journaling because I feel like uh, you've brought it up more than once now. And the fact that your favorite word is actually a lowercase letter is like journal. It just so talks about your personality. Well, what's interesting is she's a J and I'm a J. And one of the things you learn when your first name is a J, because there's a million ways to do uppercase J's in cursive. So like, uh, when I was a kid, I had like 20 different ways to do J's for my first name. Mm -hmm. And now I just print the J and then I do the rest cursive. But like working with my daughter, who's also Jamie, Mm -hmm. trying to teach her all the different J's. And she's like, Oh, this feels like it's too much. I'll just pick one. All the J's are great. When did you start journaling? Ooh. Uh, I mean, college. Because oh. then you had the opportunity. I was a sophomore captain of my team, okay. which caused conflict. And I get the opportunity to find my voice and speak. But then, of course, there's always people that are upset that are older than you. So, I don't know. Start writing thoughts down so then I could practice what I was going to say mm. before I say it. Mm. Because otherwise you trip up. And then you have potential of, you know, some snarky senior that's butthurt that he's on the bench that then, okay, so I have the opportunity to craft a message. It's got to be succinct. It's got to be tight because I have a limited window. I mean, every practice, of course, captains get everybody going before the warm-up lap, and then we close it down. Mm. So those were infinite number of opportunities for me to practice and find a voice, but I knew I needed reps just the nature of my team at that time. So sophomore in college. So it started as a way to, uh, for you to verbally communicate more pointedly, but it's carried with you. Why? Same reason? Uh, yeah. And I mean, John's known me for a number of years. So working on communicating and expressing myself, the amount of growth you've done uh, in the last four or five years uh, since I, you know, we since you came to work full time here for Power Athlete uh, in Texas when we moved, uh, your growth—you went from being who I thought you were, like a fucking uh, deaf mute, like you didn't say shit to me, because I think you thought, uh, or you thought that anytime we had a conversation, I was going to yell at you about something, which is probably pretty accurate. Well, sounds about right. Yeah. But the interaction we would have to, hey, we travel and meet and connect for one, two, three, four days, yeah. and then it's. I'll see you next time. Yeah. See you on the road yeah. or the podcast, but the podcast was you know. awful. <laughs> yeah. Our, our original podcast was like just a bunch of dudes huddled around a mic and with like a, literally like the guest on speakerphone trying to get it on the mic. So like, <laughs> like we, we laugh about like, Oh, now we have a you know video guy and we cut and we have like a studio and this, it was really yeah. bad in the beginning. Yeah. But it's pure. But I think, pure. uh, that was the standard and yeah. we didn't know any better. And then not. all of a sudden everybody upped it. So now people start podcasts and they have like studios. I'm like, wow, so fancy. Yeah. You came out the gate. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I went to Jeff, yeah. Jeff Gonzalez's first podcast. And he had a podcast room. He had a, a like a, a dude that was dry. I was like, wow, so yeah, good. but it doesn't matter how fancy it is if you got nothing to say. And I, I mean, I that's why Power Athlete's been so fun to listen to because if, if I called in and speaker, people still listen, <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah, um, 
I'm so I, I'm I'm particularly interested about the journaling because I've only just started. I'm I'm a novice at it, and I I I feel like part of what you're saying, you're using it as practice to communicate. I I feel like I I never wrote things down because my hand couldn't keep up with my thoughts. Well, that that's the that's why I think you should write versus type. Yes, because then it forces you. These these yes. words matter. Yes. So I have 13 thoughts going on, but I need to focus on one. Well, and that's what was fascinating about it. I find myself now that it's like it's like training anything. If I want to have stronger legs, I squat. And if I want to work on my communication, not just with the way I'm going to talk to somebody, whether there's an issue at bay or I want to express feelings of love, but just with myself. Like, well, how do I really feel about this? And I don't know how I feel because I keep myself busy and I think really fast and I don't slow down enough to, to really write it. And I write slower. I find myself speaking more slowly. I find myself listening better because I'm practicing just listening to my own thoughts. And there's something I started because there's this book and it was, it was written in the nineties. It's called the artist's way. And, um, it is Arthur named her name is Julia Cameron. You probably would really enjoy it. Uh, but she talks about kind of like listening and being led in your, in your creativity. And you don't have to be a director or a painter or an actor to be an artist that we all are artists and we are pure artists as children. And, and you know what basically happens is over, over time we kind of clutter. We pick up. We oh, we're I'm going to do football, right? And and you're going to follow these exact plays, and you're going to fall in line or whatever whatever our pathway is. And even if it's musical, like my sister was a musician her whole life, but very structured and not taught to explore, be creative, but to stay in line. And so part of the recovery are these morning pages. And so it's been really fascinating to write them. And now like. When I miss them, I miss them. Like I miss that time with myself. And it's weird like how I get clear on things or like things I think I'm angry about. I'm like, you're not really angry. And I found that I was so much more of a reactive person when I'm highly verbal versus when I write things down and I spend that time. And I, it almost orients me with myself and therefore I can be the kind of person that like, I, like in my day that, I'm, I, that feels right to me. I, I, don't, know, I don't, know, don't know how to explain it better than that. Well, maybe you, um, it's hard to arrange your thoughts. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the writing actually gives you like a moment of clarity or more important, like a moment of pause for you yeah. to actually reflect upon this stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, years ago, uh, my dad, who was a criminal defense attorney and then, um, you know, was a DA, young DA, uh, he was good friends with, um, with Bugliosi, the guy that tried Charlie Manson. And so Bugliosi, every day after the trial, had a recorder in his car. And while he was driving home, he would dictate all uh, you know all of his thoughts into the recorder. And then he ended up going back and writing the book Helter Skelter from it. Uh-huh. So when I was a young NFL player, my dad was like, you should have uh, like a recorder in the car and dictate everything. I'm like, yeah, that's a stupid fucking idea. I'm so pissed I didn't do it because there's so much stuff I've forgotten. Of course. And so I think what what's so valuable is the ability. Because, I mean, here's the thing. Like, um, um only think that our brain can process so much information. Yeah. Um, I had, um, my daughter asked me this yesterday. She's like, how come we can't remember when we're little kids? Like, I, mm-hmm. like it's, she's like, I felt like all of a sudden I'm like a six year old human. Like, well, why can't I remember one through six? And I'm like, well, you had no context for things. Mm-hmm. So for your brain to remember stuff, you got to have, what is it like three dimensions? You got to, you know, there's elements for this and we just haven't evolved at that age. Like you remember bits and pieces. If I showed you pictures, you would remember. And we started going through pictures and she's like, I remember this. I remember this. And then the stuff that she remembered, I was like, I don't even remember that. You don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like things like, um, 
Um, she's like, I remember swimming in the pool. Uh, so I used to do this thing called drown proofing, which is so funny. Uh, but I miss my kids used to swim in the pool when they were little. Yeah. And then I would swim underneath them and just pull their legs and yes. like pull, pull them under yeah. and then they'd have to fight to the top. Totally. And she's like, I remember swimming in the pool, like nervous that like, uh, like, like a shark was going to get us. Like, why would I think that? And I explained it to her. I was like, I was the shark and I was pulling you under. And she's like, Oh, that <laughs> makes more sense. Yeah. So I think what happens is, is that we don't have context. We can't arrange. And then you think you go over 30, 40 years of all these different places and here and te- you know, and all these different stuff. And I think you need something to not only like arrange your thoughts, but almost like a, you know, um, a chronolog- chronological um, piece in time so you can go back. Because, I mean, I've done this where I'll, I'm sure we sat there and been like, hey, Tex, what year was that? That Was that a couple of years ago? You're like, that was 2014, dude. That was eight years ago we went there. Is it context in time or is it awareness? Because, you know, obviously um, I was alive during all my 20s that I was joking about, but like I don't remember a lot of it. I... I, but let, yet if I but, tripped but, on mushrooms for a night. Like, but when you feel about it, like when you like reflect upon it, you have a real negative tint on it. You're like, I was drinking every drink and this. Yeah, and- but like, I can't remember, I mean, things that you think I would remember, important conversations. Like I kind, I, I remember like gladiators. I remember I had to do pyramid with Gina. And I remember, I kind of remember stepping up there and I kind of remember looking at her, but I don't really remember like I remember talking to Hulk Hogan, but I don't remember much. And I start to think like, I just don't think I was a very aware being. I don't think my brain, like I'm awake. I'm obviously living. How, uh, how old were you? It's 20. I just turned 25. Okay. So our brains, um, we're the slowest growing mammals on the planet. We don't get to full maturation until about 26 where our brain doesn't harden. So about 26. 26 they, we harden? Yeah. Uh, boy, uh, men maybe a little bit later because we're yeah. fucking idiots. But like I think about, it's true. Like I look at my twenties and I'm like, I, like the the difference between eighteen and like twenty eight was so big. But then like you know thirty two to forty two, like not nearly as much in the change. So I think no, that there's a right. point where like okay. you, your brain starts to harden. So that's why I always joke, man. You can't really blame people for know, things under the age of twenty six. Even thirty, even thirty years. Like I just think about. Okay, even decisions I made three years ago, I was like, was anyone home? Who was driving? You know, was you know, I on drugs? Seriously. Well, but that's what I was bringing. Like, if I if I have mushrooms, like, I am vivid. I remember every mushroom experience vividly. Like, without wavering, I remember where I was. I remember what I was wearing. I remember the thought. I remember the sensation of feeling. And yet I can't remember you know, stuff that was earlier that day. And so I, I wonder if it's, you know, is it, is it an awareness? Is it totally being, you know, I think a lot of words get thrown around, so I hate to sound hokey, but like, is it being present? Is it like the be here now? And that's what that psilocybin does is that really uh, pointed focus in a moment or within yourself that takes away all the other clutter and all the other the mind gets in the way of the, I think the soul trying to experience things. And so that's why I wonder, because like your daughter at six is of course not like aware, you know, she's just alive and growing. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, she, the fact that she has, doesn't rem- think had no concept that it was you under the water actually fascinates me. Like I'd be like, of course it's my dad. Yeah. We're not swimming in a pool with sharks, Duh. but no, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I don't know. Um, I appreciate the whole brain hardening concept for me, but like I, I, I look back and I start to look at even the relationships. I go, hmm, the, these things went this way. I blamed him for all these things. 
it's actually a hundred percent on me. And this is why, and it's not about being hard on myself. I think it's a more of like just being aware of circumstances and I can make my entire life, somebody else's problem really fast. <laughs> it's so easy. I'm late because the light wouldn't change. I'm upset because my kid is sick and I'm tired. It's like, no, you are, you're at the seat of your life. You're at the seat of your body, but you have to have the awareness and responsibility around that. I think to actually drive it and to be a part of like, I don't know, conscious living. Too deep. No, no, I, um, uh, no, it, I mean, it, it makes total sense, but, um, I think the, uh, with the psilocybin deal, like why you can kind of print that better is because, um, one, it's probably like, let's say you take it, you're in a different environment where like, let's say you're out in nature or what, like, you know, like you're in a situation that's typically different than what you're normally in. Mm -hmm. So, um, this, uh, I, I heard, uh, Mark Zuckerberg say this, that for their trying to develop, uh, their virtual reality, they, uh, the research shows that for you to imprint a memory you need three dimensions that's why like on the podcast when we do it um with with guests on zoom uh i don't really remember the podcast so people will oh. ask me later and be like hey and they'll ask you something specific and i'm like i have no concept uh -huh. but yet i remember every moment where we've been in the podcast that's why i like doing them in person yeah mm -hmm. because this prints for me yeah. uh whereas on the zoom we have these amazing conversations and i remember that the conversation was amazing but i don't remember the details of the conversation so maybe Something like, okay, hey, I'm in this situation, maybe out in nature, you're in a different environment used to what you're normally into. So mm -hmm. therefore, maybe the, uh, the the printing and the memory feels because it's different than just getting in your car, going to the gym, kind of the mundane. It's mm -hmm. almost like, stop, I'm in this situation and now I'm doing something special. There, There's a book, Psycho-Cybernetics. Have you heard of this? Yes. yes. 1960s. Yeah, and that, that wasn't L. Ron Hubbard. No. No, it's... um. God, uh, who wrote that book? Look that up. Uh, essentially, the the biggest piece that I have, I'll, I'll explain the concept, but the biggest takeaway was part of journaling because there's moments that we experience from our perspective, and then that's the first imprint. The second imprint is then when we write it down. Oh, this was my experience, you know, dear diary, or however we choose to write it down. And then if it's a problem, and this is what I like to do with journaling, is present a problem for my subconscious to solve, yes. and then I revisit it. So the third impression is what makes it real, and we have a decision, a direction, or a, uh, an opportunity for us to make present the problem upwards to you, or, hey, that's not a big deal. Don't get into it. So it's three impressions from that book. The whole concept was this, this gentleman was a plastic surgeon. In the 60s, people would come to him, and they'd have all these emotional challenges and then connect it to their nose or whatever, plastic surgery. And then he'd sit down with them and fix their nose. And they'd still be coming back to him for oh. more because they had this mental problem. So then he went down the, the line and got his psychology degree and then would sit with people and then essentially play psychologist to try to solve the problems. And if at the end of that solution they still needed the surgery, then he would do it. Uh, so like the um, – I, I, Jen, you probably have a better understanding of this than I do. Uh, in LA, mm -hmm. you would run into people where you'd be like, oh, they did a little too much. Uh, yeah. And I always, uh, I, I had a client and she, like every time it was weird, she'd like disappear for a few weeks and then come back and something was done. Yeah. And like we kind of, um, I just pretended I didn't notice because it was really awkward after a while. And I mm -hmm. finally was like, like, what the fuck did you do to yourself? Mm -hmm. And uh, she made a comment. She's like, 
there's this feeling that if only I could tweak this, I would be a little bit better. Yeah. And uh, fuck, I was like, it's oh. a lot of pain. I mean, that's at the crux. I I was joke like I yeah I'm a, I'm a weight loss coach. I help people, you know, you know figure out workouts. We we all have programming in this room. This is what we do. But this is the pathway to such deeper deeper pain and conversation. And I I what I I feel like I've realized is. And a lot's because a lot of the self-reflection in this last, especially six months to a year, but like, it's it's like breaking the sound barrier. It was like the 40s or 50s, right? It was something that you couldn't imagine being done. And it was like, it just opened us at the entire different world of, of um, uh, scientific opportunity because we had done that. I think we all have our own sound barrier in a way. Like whatever that woman was going through, she hadn't broken over yet. I mean, there was a year where I shaved my head, pierced my nipples. Like I have like, I put filler in my lips. I have done all those things trying to like push the limits of whatever that barrier was for me and figuring out, I'm like, wow, that doesn't feel better. This doesn't feel better. None of that feels better. None of that is okay. And so I think a lot of times people put shame around their exploration. Like, and I used to like make, be hard on myself for those things. And I'm like, no, 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 you're just trying. You're out there experimenting and doing things. And then through that, once you, it's like you break through that. And then there's a di- whole different world of challenges, opportunities, you know, and now instead of like, for me, I used to think I had to be outward, outward, outward. Now, the more inward I go, the farther I have been ever in my education on this life in my subconscious and in everything has like, a, it's not like I'm, it's not like I've learned something new. I just have a, a totally different scope, uh, a different lens that I'm looking through and everything is different. So it's really fun. And I just, I, I just feel like the sound barrier thing's funny because then it's like, well, then what was the next thing we did? And what, what's the next thing? And that's our human evolution. And so when it comes to what we're doing with programming and fitness and health, we're, we're tr- I'm trying to help people find their own barrier, break through, and then they graduate to the next. And whether they stay with me or they, you know, maybe they, they do your third monkey program or something that's wild and totally outside their, <laughs> their comfort zone, they're still pushing that and they're learning and they're exploring. And I think that, working out is such is the perfect vehicle and tool for deeper conversations because it's like with that journaling that you talk about text it's time with yourself you're learning you're listening to your thoughts how many times in a workout you're like i don't need to do the next round i don't need to do the next rep i actually am going to do it okay i'll do it why would you say you weren't going to do it i'm just going to do it and that you know what i mean and that there is a dialogue that is happening that's private to you and by the end whatever you've accomplished whether you've you've quit or not you still learn something it is a win-win because you did and mm-hmm. well and, uh, well a lot of our our clientele is the garage gym athlete and they've evolved from the the group fitness in the classes yeah. to now i can train alone i'm confident in my abilities mm-hmm. And it's the opportunity. They connect with their kids. We see plenty of videos yeah. with kids running around yeah. in the background. And movement becomes a part of the family rather yeah. than I am escaping to the gym. I want movement, training, hard work, moving dirt to represent who I am so that my kids learn these lessons. Well, um, the, the two things that people can't do for you, they can't learn for you, and they can't work out for you. Right? Like, <laughs> like, like people can feed you. They can drive you. Like think about all the things that people can do for you. The only thing people can't do is that like you can't work out for me. Like I can't all of a sudden have you work out and be like, oh, you worked out. I got I got this fitness. <laughs> I've said right? it. Yeah, it, it's true. And and the other thing too is like learning. Like uh, um, you can't read for me, and I can't absorb your information. Yeah. Like you can do all this work, and I can listen to you, but you can't do like like like. So that's what um, uh, 
so there's a, a page on Instagram that fucking we laugh at. It's a it's a troll page for all these like entrepreneurial pages. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, and dude, like the guy talks. Well, we got to give him credit. Entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. <laughs> it misspelled. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. dude. It's the funniest shit. Like they talk about like the greatest flex is like having a bunch of uncles and a rare fish collection. Like it's really <laughs> funny shit. And uh, they talked about like um, uh, like on it, like they were making fun of people because like this guy was like, you know, the greatest flex is being in good shape because like it shows effort in this. And then it was like they basically uh, attributed like this quote to Tom Hardy, which now if you ever see anything. That's like some motivational quote that they tie to Tom, Tom Hardy. It stems from these people just trolling the fuck out of people. Fantastic. But like, um, it, it's true. Like, uh, like you have to physically go do the work and you saw that on like the biggest loser and all the stuff you yeah. do where like, um, the biggest loser, uh, was really, really fascinating for me yeah. because, uh, like I just thought, and I know it sounds terrible. I just thought it was like a bunch of people that were lazy and overate too much. Mm-hmm. And wow. I just didn't know that like they got out of control. Mm-hmm. And then as we watched the show, um, and it was originally, it was like uh, Bob and Jillian, and then it was you, and then there was like a black dude. Yeah. I can't remember his there name. There's a lot of people that yeah. kind of slice But I, I like, we, we watched the seasons you were on, and as we started watching it, I realized that, um, like, I just thought they were, I know, this is so weird to be an NFL player, and it's like, I just figured these were lazy people. That's how they let them, and then as you get into it, you realize well. that the physical manifestation of who they are was because of all this emotional stuff. Like they were so emotionally broken that yeah. the only way they knew comfort was to overeat or they were using it as a defense mechanism, I think, to like push people away. Yeah. I mean, so these like are the scared people, not the bigger people. I am, the the far or the like the like the bigger I am, the farther people are away and they can't get close to me. Like there was all of these things that like as I was watching it, I was like yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Like and, and it was because uh you know we were doing cross the football, I owned a gym yeah. and I was having people come to me and uh, I was emotionally closed off as a professional athlete. So these people are telling me, they're like, oh, my foot hurts. And I'm like, yeah, I broke my leg. And I played 17 weeks on a broken leg. And uh, like, yeah. so like, how bad is it? Is it a broken leg? Do we got to amputate? And these people are like, no, my leg just hurts. I don't want to work out. And I'm like, so I had no like common ground with these people. Yeah, so gonna- the biggest loser was kind of helpful for me uh-huh. to watch because these were more similar to the clients that I was dealing with. I and I was like, oh, the food and the lack of working out isn't just because they're fucking lazy. Yeah. It was that these people have some serious emotional baggage and this is the manifestation or or like this is the end game. This is their physical embodiment of all of this fucked mm-hmm. up shit. And that well, was... Yes, but I'm going to defend you a little bit here. So I, I agree. Like we're, we're... The health industry is the only one that we make a promise that the person has to keep. Like I promise you all these things. I promise you abs. I promise you strength. But like they have to keep the promise sure. that I'm making them and that we're making them. But what starts to happen is a very unhealthy, toxic cycle. Yes, they're not, they're not lazy people. They are people that are in pain or that are scared. It's all, it's, that is the loop. That is the trap they are in. But it, it is also the story that they tell themselves and they continue to reinforce so they don't have to do anything about it. Mm. It is hard to look in the mirror and hard to take ownership for the decisions you're making and the emotions you are avoiding. I can't imagine what it like i grew up with great parents i was never abused i was never sexually assaulted i have never been in a position where i've had that kind of trauma to come out of but even that is not an excuse to not take care of yourself like i had a girl that i was working with and she's like i just keep forgetting my lunch because i was raped and i i just i'm not able to organize these i go stop i care about you 
And I'm sorry that happened. And we're going to work on ways that we can create trust for you and not, you know, all these things that she has a therapist has no excuse not to pack a fucking lunch, pack your lunch, take care of yourself. And what happens is it becomes a belief system that they don't want to start to open up because they would have to be responsible for those choices. Mm. And that is a place that like, it's not that I don't have um, empathy for, but it is a, it is an important place to be honest with yourself about. And some people are ready and some people aren't. It is far easier to stay fat. It is scared to try things and fail. But look what happens. You talked about those, those guys in the gym or those athletes in the gym that now, like it's a point of pride. Like that's the value of trying because it's like, I've inspired my family to move. My kids see mom and your daddy working, working with Amy. Like it's so funny. Like people say, how do you motivate Amy? I'm like, her, I don't have to. Her son does all the motivation for me. So for those of you oh. who don't know, uh, Jen is... Touring, like on the road with Amy Schumer. Yeah. She, we, she's fantastic, hardworking, great. And it's been a really good experience. But I get, but he does all the motivation because she's like... Does her son travel with her as well? Uh, no, well, he's three. So he's younger. And so if the cities are close enough, we'll be able to see him. So it's tough. Is I mean, she married? Yes. Okay. Yes. So her husband watches the... Yeah. Yeah. They're a great the team. Great team. But it's the thing that happens where... She's like, when he says that mommy's strong, it's like, it gets her, it gets her to come back to me in the gym the next day. And so you have to, you have to align your priorities. And I think the hard part is people get so far away of what feeling good feels like. They kind of don't know. And they, be, they succumb to this is it. This is how it's supposed to be. And frankly, uh, we talked about like that, that tribal interdependency some. It can really work in your favor or it can really work against you. There are families that want you to stay fat and unhappy. There are families and friends that are like, like, oh, John, you're getting a salad today. Okay. Are, are you on a diet? You know, and there's all this negativity around it versus like, oh, shit, what's the salad? Oh, vegetable. I should probably get one because I haven't had a salad in a year or whatever, you know, but there's all this, this feeling of shame that's put on people for trying to change. And it's because they're just embarrassed by your actions. Mm -hmm. You taking care of yourself reveals that I'm in fact not. And I'm going to make yeah. fun of you and order two burgers and a beer at lunch just to make fun of you more. But really, I am buried in my own shame, my own worry. Like, the, the, and, the, and this is this is the this is the deep stuff that like I love. And um, it, 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 it sounds it sounds funny, but the, just the workouts and, and, and the, the, the garage workouts you guys are doing, it's creating such a sense like they're. they're 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 learning pieces of themselves and their capabilities and there's there's almost like this blooming that happens that they're considering that they're more than they that that, that they thought there's more available to them and there's more within them that they ever considered and that's like that's the fun part about i think coaching and working with people yeah where do you start your clients with goals what's the first step that you have them set a name it sounds really funny that's a really direct question, and I don't ask it. I think it scares people away. What's your goal? What are you doing here? Um, I think that fitness has gotten off track by um, the trainer or the coach, you know, the, the person that, that, that's leading the way to create an unhealthy relationship with the person they're helping. If you don't have me, you're never gonna make it. If you don't download my app, Right. You're not going to, you know, if you don't get the next program released, you're going to lose all your gains. Dude, like, we never thought about doing that. Oh my God. 
I, I've always like told people, I'm like, uh, you know, we can be just one stop on your train. Like oh, there's yeah. plenty, like, like there's a million different, like I, I just got an email from a lady who was like, Hey, um, um, I like, I looked at the info this morning and this lady reached out about nutrition coaching. Yeah. So I was going to pitch it to one of our people. Um, and she's like, I want to follow like a, like, um, a carnivore approach. Do you guys do coaching in that? Yeah. Um, we don't necessarily, I know enough about it, but my first question was like, okay, uh, what's the end game? Yeah. And more importantly, like, why are you following this? Is it, uh, because you're interested in it or is it a like medical reason? Yeah. Like you're trying to reduce autoimmune, like give me some, you know, basis on this. Yeah. And so, uh, it's just really interesting. Well, like people come for something specific. And yes. so like, is it my job to give them like, you know, like, like what's your goal? I don't think I'd ever ask anybody, but I also think people do that because there also is a little bit of Stockholm syndrome that the trainers are trying to build in. Like for a, sure. This is about money and reoccurring yeah. subscribers. When I talk to other trainers in the field, it's about money. And it's really, it's part of the reason I've gotten a little quiet and I've backed up. I'm like, it doesn't feel good. And it, and it doesn't feel right and pure. And I, I, I do the opposite. I go, well, why did you come? What are you here for? Yeah. What do you, that's my icebreaker. Like, what are you interested in? And I, I, I it's funny people. Or, or how can I help? I've got like 10, 10% of people. Oh, go ahead. Say it. Well, I was going to say this, this is an important direction. And I think we're, we're aiming to accomplish the same thing. So it's finding a starting point for a client mm -hmm. and we want to shape how they, set a name. We want to shape how they think of goals because more often than not, somebody just getting into movement and fitness says something, a number goal. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to bench what I benched in high school. So it's a set outcome, but we know from experience, once you get to the outcome, yeah. then it, I yo-yo back, I fall off. Oh, that's it. And there's this, this, uh, detraining Rather than introducing a process form of goals, yeah, I'm going to train two days a week. We're gonna we're gonna work out uh, five, etc. So it's more of a process that then ends up having the result that they still wanted, but then it creates healthy behaviors. And more importantly, our big objective is to, with through process, is now create an identity. I am a power athlete, mm -hmm. or I'm a strong mom, etc. Totally. So then. That is a bond that represents the people and in, they can evolve. They can create more challenges for themselves. So I feel we're saying the same things. I just chose the wrong way to ask the well, question. No. Well, I just think we're shitty money makers. No, uh, well, yeah, no, that's I really okay. do. But uh, we're no, but uh, but there's the you have to balance this with like uh, like you talk about like um, like looking yourself in the mirror and you're like fuck, dude, am I just trying to fucking bleed these people dry out of you know because I want to get a new Lamborghini? Yeah. Or is it like well, I legitimately want to fucking help people? Well, I think peep, there's that's the difference. We love doing this. We legitimately love helping people. There's a reason I'm I'm private. I'm training people one-on-one -on -one. like if, if I, I love it and if I even if I wasn't paid I'd still be doing it it's like that's the difference and I think that it's, it's really a funny full circle that we're saying this because you're talking about like okay yeah you hit the goal but they're still not satisfied what's going on everybody in my group has hit their goal everyone's hitting it they're on their way the weight loss is the easy part but I've got a woman in my group now that she wrote a children's book and I have another woman that um had a hard, really hard time embracing her body and she did nude, nude photos for herself. And I have, a, I have a man that's very quiet, very, very shy, barely would turn a screen on in the, in the lectures I give to turning a screen on to talking. And I was like, yo, buddy, what's, what's happening in you? He's like, 
I took a sales class and he's like not in sales, but it was like talking techniques. And now because of that, now he's reached out to me. He's going to do a triathlon. I've hooked him up with the triathlon coach because I, that's out of my, sure. like, you know, and I'm like, we're growing people and we're helping them find their identities. And that's what tech said. And that's what it's about. Yeah. And why, you know, earlier, this is the full circle. You talked about like, I only remember the negatives and all the great things you've done in your life, John. You're like, eh, it's not a big deal or what. It's because I think deep down we know the destinations aren't the reward. It was you hearing from your peer that she tried something with her daughter and she made the team and it yeah. went really well because that's the mom finding an identity and sharing that. Well, but with also child. the fact, uh, do you know how, and I'm sure you've, this has happened to you, how much advice have you given to people that have fallen on deaf ears and they've never done it? Yeah. Oh, oh. And, and then all of a sudden you meet somebody, it's like, I, I heard you speak or I did this and like, here's what I did. And you're like, oh my God. Somebody actually took hold of this and yeah, fucking yeah. Uh, action this. Yeah. I, I think it's because we've given so much opportunity. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at jujitsu uh, and there was a, a boy came out. His back was off. Like I said, his back was hurt. Mm -hmm. And I saw him kind of like limping around. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I hurt my back playing football. And uh, instantly I'm like looking at him and I was like, lay down. And we yeah. just got him into some dead bugs. Had zero hamstring flexibility. Didn't understand it. Range his trunk. Yeah. And like all of the, I was like, dude, uh, like, all the things that you're doing uh, aren't unique to you. Your back's hurt because of all this. Yeah. And I wrote him down some stuff, and I'm like, "Here you go. Yeah. Like, it's all free on YouTube. You can fix all this." Yeah. And like, uh, um, and then my daughter's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Kids hurt." And uh, those who have the ability to, to make a change have a responsibility to make the change. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and that's that personal responsibility yeah. thing. You're like, I can fix this for you. You know, it's just easy just to sit there and fuck around on my phone and, and ignore it. But like, I can't do that for anybody. No, but that's but what's cool is by constantly giving, regardless of outcome, even if one out of 100 takes the piece of paper from you, does the exercises, what's cool is you've started a path for them. And there is a baton that is passed through like the, I, 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 it's like this ancestry of support. Yeah. Like I've had people help me. I continue to help, and those people will continue to help others. And you don't have to have a, you know, the this the, the coach on your on your jacket to be that person to help. I sure. just thought of my favorite word, and oh. you nailed it. <laughs> it's reverberation. <laughs> ah. So being the hammer, making yeah. an impact, yes. and the reverberation of performance yeah. and potential that we leave with each person. Well, um. I think when you look back at your own journey and I know I do this, like I look at influences or more importantly, like, um, I think about it, like kind of choose your own adventure mm -hmm. or like I look at my life as a book and like you get to a point and you make a decision. It goes this way. I used to love choose your own adventures cause I would make a decision, read the book and then I'd go back and make all the opposite ones mm -hmm. and to see where it led. And I think that that's, um, you know, and Aaron Rodgers, we talked about yesterday, like an amazing analogy for the NFL that it's the world's greatest novel that's written in real time and we don't know the outcome. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really true. I mean, our lives are the same way. Like we don't know necessarily how this is going to affect. You don't know, you know, you reach out, Hey, I'm coming to Austin to work to do stuff for Yeti. Can I swing by? You know, I was like, of course, you yeah. know, we're always happy to have you. Yeah. And now you don't know, like you don't know what the relationships will lead to, but you have to go try every one. Or, but do, do we, we, can we at least agree that we know how they're important? Yes. Like that's all I, that's all I really know. I was like this. I, so I wrote to you in text. I'm like, yeah. you're, you're like, thanks for squeezing me. I'm like, dude, you're important to me. Yeah. How could I miss it? Thank you. You're how important could I miss seeing you boys? And that's all that matters. Like, it seems so simple. And, and yet we, we, we get cluttered with the pursuit of what we think we're supposed to. And, and, and we watch other people. And, it's, and I, I honestly think as well, um, there's a desire to do well. I mean, obviously, like you, you guys want to provide for your families. And there's a financial component to 
um, all life because we, money is, you know, food or air conditioning, especially in Texas. Mm-hmm. But, but you start to realize like, if it all went away, if nobody cared about what you guys had to say and nobody bought another program, you guys are hard workers. If you had to bus tables, you would. And what would keep you happy are the relationships in your life. Like you would, and, and you would still find a boy that has a low back pain and you could help him. Yeah. Nothing changes your ability to coach and help and serve. And it just, it's great that you guys have platforms where you can have a reach and really help more. But you know, it's, it's, it's down, it's up to interest. And like, I just have a sense that people are so overwhelmed. Like, I don't, I don't know if you guys are getting this, but like, I don't think really people are really interested in being healthy right now. I guess a few people are so exhausted. They just like, they just want to have some great, like fall football, <laughs> a good holiday season without masks. And then like maybe in January they'll look at their health, but like, it's been hard. Like everyone's just like, I, I feel like health is, um, as you get older, it's like fingers in the dike. Like, mm. like every year you get older, <laughs> like another one pops out and you're like, now I got a finger. Now I got it's a toe. It, it is whack-a-mole. Yeah. And then unfortunately, like when you're 26, you can do that or 25 and you're like, ah, oh, you know what? If I took a couple months off and I come back to it, everything will be fine. All of a sudden you're like 46 and you're like, I need more fingers. You know, I, I need to use toes. I need to, you know, this. And I think, um, you know, it's never too late to start, but I think that like, there's more sense of urgency, mm. uh, in, you know, when, um, uh, dude, the amount of people that come to us, I mean, I, I like we get so much questions and traffic whatever and this guy's like hey i'm planning on starting this i'm like why not start today yeah. you know uh, like it, it's easier to start today like we always joke that monday's uh, national get ready to get ready day oh, yeah. where everything's going to start funny. on my, my new diet starts on monday so i always tell people never start anything on monday yeah start everything on a friday a thursday a wednesday never a monday because everybody that does anything on monday never 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 works but uh the idea of like it's never too late i i, I um I saw a guy who uh, never lifted weights, 57 years old, gets into it. And like by like 63, 64 had like, you know, accomplished this. And he's like, yeah. I never worked out. Like it was never too late. And I think that's a good feeling where people are like, ah, oh, it's too late to start. I'm like, it's never too late. But it, okay. But going back to the patterns, we talked about the, the crystallization, yeah, yeah, the crystallization. Right? We, we get like our thoughts get damp in the thought of like start. It's not the body's ability to do it. That's what's so provocative to me. Your body doesn't want to carry an extra hundred pounds. Your body does want to move. Your bo- your brain literally, like if you look at a scan of a brain after 20 minutes of just walking, it's like a Christmas tree. Yeah. Your body wants it. It's why you've you've gotten into a place where you think that you can't or it can't. And that's that's to me the psychology and that doctor that you said was a uh, plastic surgeon. That's fascinating to me because it's like he's coming in here doing work when he's realizing the work is behind the what the changes that the, the, the request is mm-hmm. and it to me like that's where the real work happens and i and i i, I always joke that do you, do you think it's society because i was thinking on this um mm-hmm. in in the nfl um and i know you're gonna laugh at this 30 years old in the nfl or it used to be when i played um was considered like you were geriatric yeah. Like, like they were like, all of a sudden you turn 30 and like people start treating you different. Yes. And like now, you know, Aaron Rodgers is 38 with Tom Brady's what, like 44, 45. So it's, it's different. But, uh, I remember when I retired and I was what, 32, 33, I had this feeling like my life was over. Mm. Like, Oh, I'm too old to do anything. And now I look back on it and I'm like, was it? No, that wasn't me. That was a fucking NFL. Cause yeah. they treat you like that. Like all of a sudden you're like a senior citizen at 30 years old. When you realize now shit, 30 was like, 
super young. And I'm like, why in my mind did I think, oh, I'm I retired. I'm old. It's it's done. And I'm like, fuck those people. And I'm so happy now that you see all these players that are playing older because you know what? The NFL does that to you. Mm-hmm. They, they start treating you like a senior citizen when you're 30 years old. And I'm like, fuck these people. Mm. Like um, that is, uh, uh, and, and it's purely for money. Yeah. Because they, they use it as a leverage, as a wedge to try to pay you less. Yes. So they purposely fucking paint you into this corner when a lot of these guys uh, could continue to play for many, many years with high quality, but they paint you into this deal and they actually force you into something like, oh, now you're this age, I'm only going to pay you this. And you're like, I'm not going to go out and do it for this. Right. I guess I'm fucking done. I do think it's societal <laughs> mindset, but I think it's more what we Look have. at Hollywood. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yes, that's the same, that's the same parallel of, of aging people out. But I do, I do think more what's happened is if you look at, just look at each decade from the twenties, the thirties, the forties and on, as we, um, have more technology, if we have more options in, you know, I'll say facial transformation, uh, whatever that is, um, there's a lot of distraction. And I guess I'd use the word detours. If I'm feeling something, about my waistline, I can just have it sucked out. Mm. Um, if I had a bad day, I'll just go on social media and look at what other people are doing and distract myself and detour from what I'm feeling. There is there the, the opportunity to just sit and you know let your days start and end with the sun and the moon are gone. Um, they're not gone actually. They're available to everyone actually when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it comes up every but, day. But but we we run away from what we're feeling versus I think there was a time where we had to sit in it and feel it. And so now I think people just I mean I have I have I, I have um, a large number of parents that have come to me asking me to talk to their young girls because they you're either putting on a lot of weight or they say that they want to um, be boys, that they're like, I'm a boy. I want to take the medicine. I want to, I want, and, and you have, when you have these young children that are being bullied at school and they think a big change will make a big difference. And I've, I've had a, a, a girl that I worked with who thought, thought she was a boy and I'm, I'm all for the trans community, but it was really when I talked to her and it came down to it, she just was being bullied and thought it was easier to be a boy than to be the girl. And I was like, if you're a girl, it's okay to be a girl. And it's like me getting a haircut in junior high is now people, kids having gender role changes. It's becoming a fad and a, something to be, or I'm going to be non-binary. It's becoming this thing to do. And it's a really big deal at that time of, I think, development and sure. emotionally, and it can be confusing. I, I was bu- I was bullied like everybody else on this planet. Like it's yeah. hard to find your way and find friendship and find self. And you see these kids going to social media, going to, you know, a gender dispute within themselves, um, trying to orient and do anything but sit in what they're really feeling, find the support, strengthen from the trial, and then move forward. You know, so it is a community mindset. Yeah, but I think there's just so much access to diverting feeling or to, uh, it's almost, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's like disassociation. Yes, I, I really think so. I really do. Uh, well, we're not designed for this. Like, um, no. um, you know, we're designed for somewhere about 150 actual social inputs and outputs. And Dunbar's you, number. Yeah, Dunbar's number. Mm. Um, where, you know, we're you know, probably evolutionary designed to live in small kind of commune type of yes. deal with like, you know, with community and this and, you know, sharing of social resources, but also this of birds. I mean, like, it, you know, and you think about like how many people like 
this trips me out. How many people can you actively stay in contact with? Right. We're, we're, and, and like, I'm sure there's hundreds of people that you really are like, I love this person. There's great. I just don't have the capacity to stay connected. That's why, like, uh, um, like you reached out and I was like, you're in town. Amazing. Yeah. And you know what? Like, if, if I don't hear from you, you don't hear from me. It's like, uh, when I see you again, it's going to be as if nothing was there because I know yeah. it's not. And then I'm sure you run into people that are like mad at you and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm living my fucking life and it's happening fast. Uh, I got all of these things and it doesn't mean I don't like you less. Mm-hmm. It's just I don't have the capacity to have this many plugins. Yeah, or, or, and to do it well. Yeah. I mean, that, that, and I think that is the, the, what is that saying? Like the, the edge of the sword that you have to kind of like walk. It's like, I love that I can FaceTime Kelly Starrett and I, I haven't seen that man in years and we are closer than ever and I love him and his wife and... Like I, I feel like he's a he's he's a brother to me, and he's right there. And technology he, lets he, me. He just was here two weeks ago. Oh, of course, and, yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, so when Kelly brought his daughter, uh, he, he brought their kids out because uh, oh, his daughter Georgia yeah. was looking at UT, so yeah. they they came oh, and hung oh. out with us. And then Kelly came out for the collective. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I I slept on his couch when I had my knee surgery okay. when, when in San Francisco. Totally. So we've been friends for years. Right. Same thing. And like uh, he even came out, and it was like no time had passed. Yeah. And it's like, but it's also, but then I did, I, but if I post them in a city because I'm traveling with Amy so much, I have gotten some really mean texts. Like, I'm shocked that you would be here. And, and I remember, I was like, I remember I had to check, like, I had to think of the name, be like, who is this person? <laughs> and I'm not trying to be mean, yeah. but I, I have met a lot of people in my day and think, and it's beauty, beautiful to work with a lot of people in exchange, but like to really do it and really do it well. What are those plugins? It's not that there's anything missing from you or you're a bad person and you're not an important person. To, for me not to talk to you, but it's like, if, if I'm going to be honorable to what feels right for me, you just have to, you just, you bring the circle in just a little bit and it's okay. And I think that's the thing. A lot of times there's the social pressure to do all these things. And it's like, I have actually found like, I'm quite an introvert because that's where I recharge. And I need a lot of time by myself. And I used, and I have lived the majority of my life being very outward, very, with a demand on my time and I, I would go to New York and have like a coffee, a workout here, quick lunch, another workout there just to hit all the stops. And I realized, Oh, this is it. I'm miserable. And I didn't know it, you know, cause, but I was trying to please everyone. And I also think it's the, 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 that's a detour in itself, like getting attention. Like, you know, it feels really good to feel important and take a picture with an Instagram friend, but like so unfulfilling, like this conversation will fuel me for a month minimum. You know what I mean? And I'll be good. Amazing. Yeah. No, I, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah. We're like, you know, like, uh, like, like how much, well, um, you made a good point of like how much, uh, like what's the quality of what you give. And you're like, uh, I don't want to half-ass things. Mm-hmm. So then therefore, like if somebody comes to town or whatever and they don't reach out, like I'm not mad at anybody cause I know everybody's so fucking busy. And then if they do amazing, we're gonna have an amazing time. And I thank them for the opportunity or more importantly, the friendship and whatever. And it's like, we'll connect again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it doesn't make me think any less, but I'm sure you're in the same deal where people reach out and you're like, fuck dude, like I'm one person and I got yeah. a ton of shit to do. Oh yeah. But that, it also goes back to even what we're talking <laughs> about businesses. I don't have a huge, I've got like maybe a hundred people in my private training group. I love it. It's small. Everyone's like, you gotta do volume. You gotta make it nine ninety nine a month. You gotta get more people in there. I'm like, I know everybody by first and last name. I know what they want. I do now know their goals, you know, that because they've shared them with me. Um, I love it. And the only way the group grows is like it's all word of mouth. 
and, and sometimes I run like little challenges or I'll do like one post and say, Hey, we're starting a new training block. It's a month for free. If you guys want to jump in and check it out and no pressure, no building. It's not about the, 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 the money. It's about the outcome of those relationships. And like, to me, it's, it feels so fun and it's, it's, you know, it's my R and D as, as a trainer. I'm like, what's going on in their lives? What's feeling right what like even like one what my what I, I swear we'd be best friends if she didn't live in Ohio. She's like Wiederstrom. We my arms are getting sh- like a little wobbly here. I go, am I not doing enough arm stuff in the programming? She's like, listen, we're doing rows, we're doing that. So I, I so I I made I called the program like Arms Week for Andrea. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. And I but like that was feedback that I needed. And I'm like oh, it's a blind spot for me. I wasn't doing a lot of arms. And frankly, why? And this is like so egocentric because I've got great arms. Like I don't need to work my arms because as a, I, I, it's, it's DNA. Thank you, mom and dad. And I was like, oh, I didn't see that. Cause I do all the programming with my team mm-hmm. and, and then, but like, you know, uh, it, it, but I also see what's emotionally going on and what they're feeling. And so a lot of what going on in them is my, it fuels my, um, my direction for what I'm writing or what I'm working on. And that's, then that's real. And if I, you know, I mean, literally the group, the membership pays for all the stuff I put into it. So I make zero dollars and it's one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> By the way, bad at making money. Yeah, yeah, Some people are farming money. I do not. Uh, I- <laughs> well, um, man, like uh, you, you were talking about, um, I, I learned early on I was an introvert. But I also realized as a guy, as an introvert, you don't get invited to any cool parties. <laughs> so like you got to pretend to be an extrovert or yeah. you just don't get invited anywhere. Um, so like when, uh, um, and I talked to Matt Vincent about this when I was like, you know, going here, taking all these pictures. He's like, yeah, it's bitch. I'm like, looks uh, amazing. And I'm so stoked that you're doing it. <laughs> and uh, because like, uh, like, yeah, I mean, there's some amazing stuff, but I'm like, I, I just don't know if I could have that ability to be able to like go and do and interact that much. I'm like, fuck dude, I would just, yep. I'd, I'd want to go hide at home. But what did Matt post a month ago? Did you, did you yeah, see? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I reached Depressed, over, over stretched. He was doing all the things. Cause it's cool, right? You do all these things, live life, go for it. He's like in my van, like go, I, I'm yeah. like, oh, I, know. I was, you know, like he's, but he's like, I'm like, what he's ignoring what he needed, which was to sit still. Yeah. Sit still. Well, don't you think sometimes people, uh, it's easier to just keep running and going to the next thing than it is to sit down and realize. Throwing like, up a hand. Oh my yeah, God. It's just easier to just keep moving. Well, and it's, it's easier to move and have the simulation of your life and your problems. Like there's nothing I love better than throwing on a cape and being the superhero in your life. I feel so <laughs> like, I feel so good when I feel like, oh, let me solve all of your problems. Yeah, so like, I don't have to worry about I'm really mind. good at this. Here's what we'll do. And meanwhile, like I've had a book that I've been trying to write for four years called table for one, because I'm, I haven't learned the lesson I'm trying to teach. So of course nothing's coming out. And, and that's, you know, that's where it's at. Like I can focus on you all I want, but when you sit at a table for one and you have no one to reflect, no one to mirror, no one to fix, you are, well, like that's, that's what the book is going to be about. It's what you discover when you're with you. And that's why I'm so intrigued by your journaling text and how long you've been doing it. And I admire it because it's scary and it's cool, but it's like, that's where it's at. And you have to sit still long enough to see what comes and I can't tell you what happens because you have to be there to see it for yourself. Like it's one of those things. Oh yeah. And yeah. this, I come from a very artistic family. Like mm. my home, it's all my sister's artwork. So oh, all, wow. all different forms of, uh, I guess, style and technique that she's explored. Mm. And I, I felt that like, uh, this is, this is awesome. 
now my wall is full and I've explored, I've taken ceramics classes. So I, I can, I got, I'm pretty crafty. Like I can draw on uh, my handwriting is phenomenal. I write all the thank you notes. <laughs> you for do, you do have nice penmanship. I have seen it. Yes. And, yeah, he does nice penmanship. So now I take a ceramics class. I signed up for the, the spinning wheel one. Yeah. Yeah. To throw and, in the wheel. Oh, uh, throwing clay is one way. Yeah. yeah throwing it's, clay. It's still, so still to this day, one of my most favorite things I ever learned in school. Yeah. But I, I'm gonna, we still the, use all my stuff. For the listener, um, just imagine the scene in Dirty, not Dirty Dancing. Uh, oh, Patrick ghost. Swayze. Ghost. 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 Thank you, Patrick Swayze. I scene. model my entire persona off of Patrick and his uh, cowboy chic, as I've learned it, it's actually <laughs> called. I have a video to send to you the moment I leave this conversation. Yes, I'm okay. in. Okay. So, yeah, and it, journaling is part of it, but now I'm uh, exploring that personal creativity yeah. where it's there's no one around. Yeah. It's just me doing it. It's so. just you. But it's what's cool, too, is there's an access to, like, I my friends for my, my 40th birthday, they sent me, like, a Polaroid camera, um, like an OG the one. They had to, like, dig it, track it down, and then, like, a watercoloring set that are postcards. And it, I immediately felt fear because I was like, what if I waste these pictures with bad shots? Cause I've only got 30 <laughs> and then the watercolors were, were po- I'm like, I got to send this to somebody. And I started painting and taking photos and just the journaling, um, alone, how open things to me. And then we were in Philadelphia. We had, we were there for like six hours for a show. And there was this huge fountain in the middle of Philadelphia. And I remember I was like, we had like nine minutes to the cars to come. And I'm like, I'm going to jump in that fountain. <laughs> and I just ran, which we all know doesn't happen for me ever. I ran into this water. There's kids playing. I kicked off my shoes and I jumped in the fountain. And it wasn't like, like it sounds like I didn't make anything. I didn't paint anything. I wasn't throwing clay. It was artistic. I, I, I was just it, it opening a piece of Did me. Did you take a picture? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't happen unless you take a picture to oh, document it these it days. it was more like for me to remember, like the kids were playing. And, like, and then like... I started talking to people there, people in the community. They're like, oh, before you go to town, you got to go to that place. And like, it was just like, everything is right in front of me or it, but it's like, it's up to, but you have to let it. Like, you just have to let it. And it's ironic. And I've said this to a friend too recently. My last name, Widerström in Sweden, uh, in Swedish, it means um, by translation, Widerström. So Widerström is to resist and Ström is the stream. And so... (laughs) It is literally like tattooed in my DNA to like resist change, to resist flow, to, I'm like, I'm not going, I'm doing it my way. And the the rigidity and the prickliness of my personality, I have become so aware of. And I am just like, when thing, I'm kind of like Jim Carrey and Yes Man. Like Amy's like, will you go on tour? And I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) And I fucking love it. You know? And so I am just like on this like really cool raft, just going like, wee down this river right now so it's wild in philly uh like like you saw it like you're there everybody's telling you different places to eat and reaches yeah. out where if you're in la people will literally like cross the street to avoid you oh my like, god it, it was yes. the, it, it's the most amazing thing like in yeah. southern california where i lived like people would like go out of their way to not have a conversation yeah. with you whereas in philly like people are looking around and you make eye contact with somebody somebody who's coming over to give you advice on something yes. and it's like are you you're not from here? Like, where are you going to eat? Like, it was amazing. Uh, when I first went to Philly, um, you know, obviously from California, I was yeah. like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? <laughs> and then after I was there for a little bit, I was like, this is, and people talk about Philly. I'm like, it's a super friendly place. You just got to be used to their version of friendly. friendly. Yeah. But like, if you sit down, like I would go to this place called um, uh, the Irish pub and it was on Walnut. Uh, I'd go there and like uh, watch football by myself. 
Yeah. And I always sat down. You, you would always get into a conversation. Yeah. Somebody would always want to talk to you. Yeah. And, um, and not want anything from you. Just <clears throat> talk to you. It's funny because even Amy on her standup and, uh, she talks about a joke. She'd had like a really hard day, had a pretty intense surgery. And there was like a construction worker in New York that like consoled her. And it's like, yeah, that's like, that's, yeah. that's, that's people like, what's up? You don't look, you okay? Yeah, you know? what's wrong? And, yeah. and like, and that was, and so there is that. And in LA, I, I, it, whenever that happens, it's always, it's always that person's like thing. It's like they're, they think they're, they're trying to feel a certain way, be a certain way, or they're covering something up. That's it. You know? Well, Swedish, <laughs> thank you so much uh, for coming to Power Athlete. Yeah. Uh, we have a few things on the docket. We got to do Oktoberfest. So yes. we've, uh, we've agreed to that one. I'm, I'm not kidding. I want to promise. Okay. At least offer me uh, the, giving the I, option. I will. Uh, the fact that Tex has been holding on to these for as long as you fucking can, just like I'm, I'm overjoyed, and we're we going to keep them here. The buttons, right? Or do oh, they yeah. stay here? No, I'm, right. uh, no, I'm going to put them over here because we actually, I think we have some pictures somewhere around a bit. But Oktoberfest. Well, no, you can hold on. Uh, sugar my bounce. goal, yeah, my goal is to put. Uh, I would love to be able to like, um, like you know how Matt does these, uh, like, uh, hey, come, uh, you know, die living, you know, with us, and uh, yeah, I want to just do Oktoberfest. Oh, oh. I, I can help you with this, but, but can we do it at the ranch here? The, the house? Oh, we could do anything, but I'm <gasps> just saying. Your friend's property. You just told me about it on the way over here. Um, on my friend's property. Seven thousand people every weekend. You said. Oh, uh, Treaty Oak. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a distillery. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. yeah. I mean, well, but but I was saying like we got to go to Oktoberfest in, in Munich. Munich. Yes. So I was thinking in my head as we're talking, I'm like, God, I, did they remove all the mass mandates and all that stuff? I know the UK is doing it in England or uh, Canada's getting rid of it. I wonder what's going on in Germany. Oh yeah. It's, it's live. It's oh, live. Shit. Well, it's going, yeah. Yeah. It's going on right now, but we, we would have to, we'd have to like start planning in February. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 2023. We're in. I'm in. Okay. I'm I game. am in. Okay. Okay. All right. So <laughs> there we, was one on the docket. You were you were listing out things on your fingers, though. Uh, that was the one Oktoberfest, and then um, man, I can't think of anything else. We got any other plans or anything else to agree I mean, with? Well, Summer one, one is enough. Summer yeah. gonna, I want to go twenty twenty three. I missed it the last two years. I know you have. Uh, I yeah. sat with Gunner for like. <laughs> It was funny. Gunner found me. It was it was funny. He's like, uh, text me. I heard you're not here, and I'm like, I'm totally here. Wait. And it, it's it's so big now that I didn't uh, like Gunner and I couldn't find each other for oh a day. God. And then Gunner started. He stood up on a table and started just screaming. Well, when you're five foot three, yeah. you and do then, that. <laughs> so I finally find him, and he's like, embraces me. He's like, thank God you're here. And then, and then we went off, and we were rapping. And he's like, I don't know who any of these people are. Like he was like, he was so happy to like have somebody. And then yeah. we, uh, we got into all, all the F45 stuff oh, yeah, and yeah, the Marky yeah. Mark, uh, Wahlberg and, yeah. uh, David Beckham and oh, all yeah. this wacky shit. Dude, and, he's in Nashville now. He's fully. Yeah. Oh no. He, he was uh, showing me pictures of oh, their good. place in Nashville. He was driving out. He was so excited. He's like, fuck these LA people. I'm done with them. I yeah. don't want to train anybody. Uh, I'm tired of these yeah. fucking vapid, uh, uh, LA people. And, uh, it was amazing. We yeah. are fucking badass. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, uh, he texts me, sends me pictures. I love, uh, he's another guy. Like, yeah. uh, if he came to town, I wouldn't be upset if he didn't call me. And if he does be a fucking amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was going to ask, and I know we keep trying to wrap this up. It's never going to happen. What about winter strong? That's when you and I actually, this is actually a really funny story. Winter strong is great. It's like the hunting, fishing outdoors yeah. of summer strong. And, uh, the, you know, there's Bert Soren, bless you, dude. He, he does it right. And you have a great breakfast. And then like you learn about like hypothermia and then like condition one does a presentation. And then there's like, you know, you, there's, there's blood trails for deer and John, me and Woodski 
just never left the cafeteria area, like the food tent. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we we're not going to yeah, we're we're fucking do that. We just, we kept just sat around coffee. coffee. <laughs> and we just yeah. talked and told stories. And then like, it was like lunch set up. We're like, you guys want to do lunch? Okay, yeah. we'll just, we'll. And we didn't leave. First and, and, in line and for then, lunch. And then by move. the end of it, Jen and I were like, we're best friends with them. We're our best friends. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. best friends now. The yeah. other really funny story. So I wanted to know if you guys were going because yeah. I could put that into my my thing. We uh, so the last two years uh, I missed because of snowstorms here in Texas. Oh, so that's we had right. the uh, the freeze and we couldn't. Yes, and then course. last year um, there was a, a random deal and my plane got canceled oh. and so they rebooked me. <gasps> At like, uh, oh. like it was like 11 in the morning. And I, so I woke up at like seven and they had rebooked me in the night for 6 a.m. Oh, and so God. I get up I, and then I call you and they're like, the we flight. can't get you there. Like you won't get there till three o'clock on Saturday. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's funny. So if you guys, you got to go, you've never been text. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. This is just tiny. And I'll leave you with it. So at the winter strong, Bert always does this obstacle course. Um, it's like three miles long. And you spend the first like day and a half of Winter Strong working with um, professionals in their area. So you're shooting a pistol, your long range rifle, um, a bow and arrow, bow and arrow, yeah. really cool stuff. And and then you got to put it to the test. And Bert does it where he's like, if you're an archer, raise your hand. And he lines up eight people, including himself. And he goes, okay, pick teams. And it was like gym class, you know, where like, like you you're like, okay, Jimmy's on my team, and you're just sitting and sitting. So I'm standing next to Pat Ivy. Who's as big as yeah, John? Uh, he 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 could he could deadlift five hundred pounds in a pair of Dockers. It'd be cold. Just pick it up. Like he is a quite an athlete and skill. has incredible facial hair oh. in terms of like the most. It looks impe- like he's penciled it in. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, yeah, I always yeah. ask him I'm like like. Oh yeah, he is keeps, it a tattoo? He keeps his shit tight. Yeah. So we're sitting there, pretty proud. We're pretty athletic people. We're like we're gonna probably get picked in the first round. You know, like for it's draft picks versus drafting. So we, everybody goes, no one picks us. And then Bert goes and chooses his wife, Leslie. He's like, this, uh, come on, guys. Yeah, obviously, I'm picking my yeah. wife here. Let me tell you, round after round after round, Ivy and I are not getting picked. It's to the point where one of the archers are like, hey, guy in the red shirt. I'm like, it's fucking real? Like, I'm a pretty good athlete here. But because we were non-adventure like outdoor people and they were looking at us as like, oh, Oh, do you guys lift weights? Like there was no currency of our strength out there. They're like, these guys are going to fucking suck. We're not picking them. So I am like staring at Bert. Like you have to pick me. <laughs> Kickball five years old. <laughs> so Pat gets picked before me, like two people before. And then it's like, you know, Bert's like, we you know, th- hammer throw. I was like, this is such a pity thing. And I didn't give a shit. Let me just tell you, we won. Bert's team one and a lot was because his archery was like yeah know, he's real good there's at no that. mistakes right yeah, yeah. and then uh anyway but it was just so funny because pat and i were like we're just total like puffed chest like so we're gonna we're gonna crush this and then nobody picked us <laughs> i'd have a bert pick me anyway fun stuff see you at winter strong uh sounds good look yeah. forward to it all right well thanks for tuning in to another episode of power athlete radio bye, bye.